Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. It's amazing. Thank you so much, guys. Wow, that's awesome. Lord, we just thank you so much, Father, for what you're doing in our lives. You're working in our lives, Lord God, even though we don't see it sometimes, we don't feel it sometimes. But rest assured, you promise that you are working in our life. And that's what we hold on to today, Lord God, the promise, the promise of God in our lives and the lives of others and our loved ones' lives. Father, we just thank you so much for what you're doing. May today, Lord God, you open our eyes in regards to what you're doing in our lives and the lives of others. In Jesus' name, amen. Take a seat, guys. For those of you who don't know, my name's Daniel. Welcome. I hope you're having a good day so far. A bit chilly. All the rest of it. All right, I want to get straight into it. Today, we're going to talk about desire. Who here has ever had a desire for a good outcome, for a good life? Yeah? All right, well, God put that desire in your heart, believe it or not. We're going to talk about that today. So I want to start with a quote. You might have heard it. It's from C.S. Lewis, and it's this. If I find in myself desires which have nothing, which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Who believes that? That we were actually made for more than we see throughout the day. Yeah? There's one thing I know about desire is it's a very powerful thing. It's a very misunderstood thing. So desire is what keeps us going in life. It gets our hopes up, makes us feel like there's a better tomorrow. But it's also extremely frustrating because Sometimes desires always feel like they're so far out of our reach. So how does God get the attention of mankind and show him that there's something bigger and better on offer than what he just sees every day? How does God show us that the worldly options open to us every day actually get in the way of real riches, of real contentment, belonging and satisfaction? Who who knows that, you know, when old Mick Jagger wrote that, I can't get no satisfaction, that probably now, what is he, 80 years old, he's probably still singing that same song. And what about us? I can't get no satisfaction. Doesn't matter what kind of job you got. Doesn't matter how much money you've got. Doesn't really matter what you do in your life. There's an itch that sometimes just cannot be scratched. What we're going to talk about today is that God put that itch there, but the reason sometimes we can't scratch it is because we're going to the wrong place to try to fulfill desires that God can only fulfill. And I'm not talking about just general desires. I'm talking about specific desires. Those plans that God put on your heart that you think, I'll never be able to do that, but I'd love to do that. That plan plan you have, that desire you have, that thing that you want to solve, that person you want to help, that thing that you want to do, that just seems too big and I could never do that. Well, I'm here to tell you that God, depending on what that desire is, of course, and he guards the way of desire, so it's not that we can just have anything we want. But I want to tell you that God put that desire in your heart, and God wants you to fight for it. That he actually expects that you'll fight for it. He desires that you fight for it. When, when the Israelites weren't quite sure where they stood with God, God said, I know the plans that I have for you, said the Lord. Plans to give you a hope and give you a future and an expected end. God wants you to have an expected end. But what we have to understand is that we, we partner with God in our lives. 
God doesn't just put fairy dust on our, on our lives and all of a sudden we're just blessed and we walk along in life and everything's cool. God puts desire in our heart to keep us pushing in. And that's why we've got to protect our desires. Have a listen to Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has planted eternity in the heart, in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. How does God put eternity in the hearts of man? How does God get the attention of us? How do we see the invisible? If all we're, do, all we're done in, in life is we're just trained to see what we see, what we feel, what we think. We actually think as human beings that what we think is right. What I think and the way I perceive life and the way I see things, that's the right way. And some of us are immovable on that. And yet we know about that much of life. And God's trying to get the attention of people that are like ants in an ant nest and trying to wake them up to a bigger purpose and a bigger destiny. Not only about eternity, the fact that what you're living now is only like that much out of an eternal, never-ending life that we're going to live with Jesus in heaven. It's not only just that. It's he wants to wake you up and get your attention for right now because he hasn't actually got a plan B. We're it. We're the body of Christ to outdo God's works. God said that he created you before the beginning of time for good works. So if you're wondering what that desire is, that's God trying to get your attention, that you actually created before the beginning time for better and bigger things than you've ever hoped, dreamed, or imagined. It says, I think it's in Ephesians 3.20, it says that, um, that God will do above and beyond what you've ever hoped, dreamed, or imagined according to his power that is at work within you. There's a caveat to it. According to the partnership, according to the, way, to, the, um, to the degree that you let him in, to the degree that you hold on, there's nothing wrong with desire. It's where you place them that matters. God has put a desire in your heart. Listen to this um, scripture in Revelations. Jesus talks to the ladios, these glasses on and off, on and off. I'm going to have to get, what do they call them, contact lens or something. So Jesus is talking to the Laodiceans in, in Revelations. And these, what we've got to remember as I read this is that these are believing people. These are Christians. These are people that have made their mind up. This is a church that he's actually speaking to. So in Revelations 3, he says this. Jesus says to the church, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. I would that you were either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. For you say I'm rich, I've prospered, and I have need of nothing, not realising that you are wretched, pitiful, pitiful, poor and blind and naked. I counselled you to buy gold from me, refined by the fire, so that it might make you rich. And white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes that you might see. Who wants God to speak that over our lives? Who who wants for God to come down and sum our life up like that? How could this have happened that the Laodiceans would have had such a, a purpose and such a destiny 
and such a plan that God had for them and get so far off track. Firstly, I'm not saying that this is us and we're going to get to what it is that how and how God protects our way, but I, I need to point out that it's possible that this could happen to anybody that's a believer. If it's possible for the Laodiceans, it's possible for us. Desire is meant to protect your way. Desire is actually meant to give you a passion for life and a passion for what you can't see. And when we talk about all of this today, one of the scriptures that I really want you to guard your heart by is, is that the essence of faith is things hoped for but not seen. Now, what we have to understand about that is, is that God gets our hopes up at salvation and he gets our hopes up during points of our life. Now, when someone gives you a promise, it raises your hopes and you think, unreal, life's pretty ordinary right now, but I can see a better day coming. That gets our hopes up. That gives us desire. But as you know, as you're walking along, it's not too far on before you cop another hit and the promise doesn't seem so real anymore. Salvation is just the awakening of our spirit to another world. Salvation is us opening our eyes to the fact that there's another existence, that there's more to what we live right now. God is making promises to us and waking us up and going, see Mr. Ant on the ant's nest? It's a bit bigger world than what you understood. But salvation's not the end. Salvation's only the beginning. Between this spot and our the, the, un, the desire being fulfilled, whether it be eternity or whether it be that thing in your heart that you just can't, you, you, ever since you become a Christian, this thing's been on your heart and you don't know how you're going to get there, but it just won't go away. If it won't go away and it's godly, it's God. But you don't know how it's going to happen. And that's why he says, in all your ways, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your heart, um, whatever that scripture is, you know, it. I can't remember it, but... Essentially, it's saying that you rely on your own understanding, you're not going to get there, you know. So here we have salvation. Here we have promise. Here we have whatever it is, and God's trying to wake you up. He's trying to get you excited. He's trying to get you excited, and then you take a couple of steps, and then bang, and then bang. And I'll just tell you, that's life. Bang, bang, bang. So how does God get you excited to finish the race? How does he get you excited to waken up every day going, I mightn't feel it, I mightn't see it, but I know it. I know it that I'm going to have a better life. I know my family can be stronger. I know my health can be better. I know that I can do this thing even though I don't feel I can do it. How does God get that through our minds? Because this is what we need to get through. Because this is what happens in life. We cop one hit after the next. So the Laodiceans, God's not trying to pull them apart. He's just trying to give them a wake-up call. This is what's going on. You've taken, your, you've taken your eyes off the prize. We're going to break it down. There's three things that I want to um, show you that Jesus is wanting to rattle their cage a little. And it's the same for them. It's the same for us. Firstly, it's works. The first thing that Jesus says is, I know your works. I know what you're up to. Now, we know that we're not saved by works but we are marked by them. So back here at Salvation, you weren't saved because God thought you were a good fella or a nice lady. He, he, you were saved because he loved you. He didn't save you because you worked at the Lions Club and you've given to charity and you're such a good person, blah, blah, blah. You were saved because he loved you, full stop. You didn't earn it. But from there, you aren't saved by grace, but from there you're marked by works. You'll be known by your works. 
Here we see Jesus saying to the Laodiceans, look, be one or the other. Don't look to be doing the right thing the whole time. You're just doing your own thing with a Christian badge on. Listen to this scripture in Matthew 7, 21. It says, for not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Surprise, surprise. But only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. The Laodiceans were running around doing their own thing with a Christian badge on. Now, this isn't a condemning word. What this is, is this is actually the, when the, when the Bible says this, it says that wide is the path to destruction, but narrow is the path to life and not many people will follow on it. The reason that we don't see desire outworked in people's lives more often is because they don't stay on the narrow path. They think that you can just do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, and it all roads will lead to God's purpose and destiny. Well, Jesus says here that's actually not the case. He's saying to the Laodiceans, you're doing a lot of things but nothing for me. And right here it's saying that not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, will actually even enter the kingdom of God. Now, I know this might be a bit full on. We'll try to pull back a bit and try to open a way. But this is the thing. We are in a war. God promised that. He said, hey, look, amongst all the desires I have for you, there's another entity that actually has a desire for you as well. And his desire is to come and steal, kill and destroy. And he asks you to be on your guard. And if you're not on your guard, there's every chance that he might slip under the radar and start influencing your life. Now, this is all throughout Scripture, all throughout Scripture. And sometimes we think God owes us a favour. God doesn't owe us anything. He makes the promise over here and he, and he gives us the word of encouragement and he gives us grace and he gives us everything. But Paul talks about not taking grace in vain, taking it real serious, understanding that every day that you have a, an obligation unto your own family, your own life to protect your way in God. And, and Jesus here is saying, hey, I know your works. We've talked about that. But God doesn't want your good works. He wants your desire and he wants your obedience. And once he has that, he'll do good works for you. There's a scripture that I tell myself all the time and it's that God gives us the power and the desire to do what pleases him. It's grace from the very beginning to the very end. God is the one who causes us to be able to do good things. Good works that he created before the beginning of time for us to do. But we've got to cooperate with him. We've got to be in partnership with him. You can't go left when he wants you to go right. There's that other scripture and it says, carry a cross and walk with me, die to yourself. Now that can seem lots of many different things and it can seem a bit weird. But really what he's saying is, hey, look, if there's a tussle between what you want and what I believe is best for you, which way are you going to go? We spiritualize everything, but really it's like, okay, you call me master, you call me Lord, Lord. Are you going in the same direction that I'm going? I want to ask you that. Are you going in the same direction your Lord, Lord is going? Because if you can say yes, you will do good works. But anything you do beyond that is nothing to God. You know, God says, Jesus says this, he says, um, Abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. And the, the um, Pharisees and all the religious people of Jesus' day, they love to make everything complicated, and they're saying, oh, you know, what about this and what about that? 
What do I have to do for good works? What do I have to do for eternal salvation? And Jesus said, the only work that you need to do is believe in Jesus Christ. You have a look at it. Um, One in the gospel messages and it talks about um, the good works that we need to do. And it says, believe in the one that God sent, Jesus Christ. Your main job, your only job in regards to works is just to follow the Lord, Lord. If you're going to call him Lord, Lord, follow him like Lord. And if you're wondering, yeah, but it's not that easy. I understand that. We're going to talk about that. God does guard the way. It's not always clear. But if you said yes to him here, I promise you, he'll give you grace. He'll give you grace to be able to understand what he wants you to do next. Where we get confused is when we worry about what's going to happen in 10 years. Jesus says, okay, fair enough. I understand that. But how about we worry about what's going to happen tomorrow? If you worry about what's happening tomorrow or if you worry about what's happening today, in other words, concern yourself with me, the Bible says if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. If you delight yourself in in the Lord today, he will give you what you need for tomorrow and the next day. There's no shortcuts. It's about relationship. It's about obedience. It's about following. The later you see it, Latiosians or however you say it, they got lost in works. They got lost in, in um, religious works. They got lost in, in worldly wealth and they lost sight of where Jesus was even going or what he was even doing. I know your works. God knows your works. We just need to make sure that our works line up with what he wants and what he says. So that was the first one. He said, I know your works. The second one we want to talk about is true riches. Now, one of the other things that they got caught up in is measuring how they're going based on what they owned, based on what they did. Listen to this scripture. It says, for you say I'm rich and I've prospered and I need nothing, but you aren't realising that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counselled you to buy gold from me refined by the fire that you might be rich. You see, God doesn't have a problem with what we own. He doesn't actually have a problem with what we do. He has a problem with where our heart is. And what I've experienced in my own life is that when he says that I counseled you to come to me to buy gold refined by the fire, what he's saying is that there's so many distractions on this earth. There's so many things, including work and family and all those good things. Good things can be a distraction. God hasn't got a problem with good things. He's got a problem with us putting our desires on those things. You have a think about it. God gives us a plan and desire, and the enemy's desire and plan is to hose it down, to put the flame out, to quench your desire, to either knock you off course so that you'll take off. You're not necessarily sinful. You're just quenched. you're just not on fire anymore. You just, you don't have desire or it's the wrong desire. And what we find here with the Laodiceans, they just had the wrong desire. They were saying that they were rich and God was saying, well, wait, you're actually poor. Because what, what Jesus talks about is he talks about true riches. Here we see Christian believers who allowed worldly wealth to be their treasure but they have no ability to carry the true riches because they are satisfied with the counterfeit. True riches 
is what God builds in us so that he can carry out what he wants through us. This is the point. You guys take yourself with you wherever you go. And God knows that. And so he builds into you the capacity to outwork what he needs you to outwork. And how does he do that? Remember, God's trying to get the attention of ants here. Well, the way he does it, if it's just not on basic instinct, like an animal, and there's more depth to us than that, feelings and emotion and passion, love, hate, all those things that are good things, they just need to be under the control of a good God because those good things can take us this way or that way, and the enemy knows that as well. And he just wants to grab those passions and desires and take the focus off what God would and focus it on other things, money. Oh, I would be so much better if I had a great, a better job, a better boss, if I lived in a different country, or had a better wife, better husband, if I only had a better car, if I only had a bigger house. And you get all of those things and they're empty. And as a Christian, I've allowed my desires to go like this as well. And what God's saying is that if you want true riches, you've got to understand what they are. True riches is what God does in you so that he can birth things through you. Patience, faith, hope, love, those things that he wants to get anchored into your heart so that when the enemy comes to try to steer you from the left or the right, that you'll stay anchored. That you won't be, um, the Bible says, that you watch your life and doctrine closely so that you won't be thrown off or tossed to and fro by every wave that comes your way. The true riches are the things that God sows in you. And then what happens is that once you have those truths in you, those, those anchors in you, you start walking forward and you start to bear fruit. If you abide in Christ, he says, you will bear much fruit. But if you don't abide in him, he says that you will bear no fruit. The abiding in Christ is just, what are we up to today? It's reading his word, it's knowing his promises. It's holding fast when you're discontented. It's holding fast when you're disappointed. It's holding fast when people offend you and do all those sorts of things. The true riches is what you do when, think, when life happens to you. Don't you know you would have experienced it when kids and people go through terrible things? It's like the, the things that happen in their life become an excuse to ruin their own life. The terrible things that have happened in your life are meant to be surrendered over to God so that he can make sense of it because us as humans can't make sense of it and it hurts us. And then the enemy uses that hurt to say to, to, to steer us off to the left or right, to have us, if we will, have an excuse to be dysfunctional. And you see these people and if you, if you go into jails and, you, and there was a study done on on family, the family situation of a lot of people in jails and there was an overwhelming percentage of people that are in jails who, who were fatherless. And so the enemy just comes in and he just takes over their life but the, the stronghold is that they didn't have love, they didn't have um, a family, they didn't have connection, they didn't have protection, they would have had hurt and shame and all those things. 
But God comes to say, it doesn't matter what your, what your past was. I know the plans I have for your future. But somewhere between your past and your future, you've got to give over to God. You've got to surrender your hurt. You've got to surrender your future. You've got to surrender those pains, that whatever that is that might be driving you. People don't deliberately do the wrong thing. I don't think there's many out there that deliberately ruin their lives. They just don't understand the dynamic. God says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans of hope, give you a hope and a future. And he says, don't rely on your own understanding, but in all your ways, that scripture, forget it again. But, he, but Jesus also says, but there is an enemy and he came to steal, to kill and destroy. But I've come to give you life and give it to you to the full. Now, what we need to understand is that the point of salvation is just our eyes opening to that, that there's a tussle, that there's a war. The real work begins when we step out of it and we walk every day and we still have that hurt. We still have that pain. We still have that offence. And we need to start laying those things down. The Bible says that's what true riches is. When you can lay things down, you can give your brokenness to God so that he can give you healing. When you can lay your pain down and he can give you joy. But for some reason, our human hearts hold on to this pain and suffering because it, it kind of protects us and we guard ourselves. But what God is saying, you lay down your life for me and I'll give you eternal life. But it's got to trade out. You give me your anxiety, I'll give you my peace. Jesus says this, he says, my peace I give you, my peace I leave you. But then he says, so do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. A lot of what God has given us is past tense. The issue is, is that when you walk it out, we don't feel the peace. And so we wonder where God is. Well, God's right where he said he was, right by our side. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. What's betraying us is our emotions, our feelings. Now, feelings and emotions are important, but they just shouldn't be central. Because this is why the Bible says that we, we, but with faith, we don't rely on what we see. We can't rely on what we feel quite often because our feelings betray us. Because they're connected to things that we don't understand, pain and suffering and things like that. True riches. When God says, I counseled you to come to me by gold refined by the fire, he's saying, I, come, I asked you to come to me when you have pain, when you have disappointment, when you have hurt, when you have suffering. I, come, I asked you to come to me. Don't run to the world. A new house isn't going to fix that. A new relationship's not going to fix that. More money's not going to fix that. I counseled you to come to me when you were broken, when you felt destitute, when you felt abandoned, when you feel confused, when that desire is burning in your heart and you don't know what to do about it, but you just know that there's something in it, but you just get disappointed and disenfranchised and all that stuff. I counselled you to come to me to give you the answers. And the Latiocians didn't do that. They said, oh, no, no, we're rich. We're right. We're all good. He's going, mate, you're not. You're poor because you didn't come to me. I would have given you true riches. I would have made it that you could walk out your life with anchors so when the enemy came, you could resist him. 
ultimate it than when the enemy came to give you dissatisfaction and disenfranchisement, that you had an eternal peace inside yourself and a joy that just welled up no matter your circumstances. If you come to me, that's what I'll give you. That's what he's saying. That's what true riches is. Does that sound cool? All right. So that's the first one was works. The second one was true riches. The next one is righteousness. Now, righteousness is super important. That um, timer's not up there, so just let me know. Five minutes? Great. Okay, so we're going to finish. Now, righteousness is super important. Now, God guards the way in your desires. So when I say to you that those desires in your heart are from God and people go, oh, yeah, that doesn't sound real good because I'm not talking about any old desire. God guards the path, that narrow path. Works aren't the way to get there, but we are marked by works. And true riches is us coming to God when we're just going through life, copping the flogging. How we, where are we going when we feel pain? Where are we going when we have um, even feel distraction or whatever it might be? We talked about that. Um, true, true riches, running to God. Now, righteousness guards the way. There's two things with righteousness that we need to understand. There's two things in righteousness that can have us lose our way. The first way we can lose our way in righteousness is to believe that we have our own. If you're relying on your own righteousness, your own goodness, that's a sinking ship. Because you might have had a good day, but tomorrow you're going to do something stupid. <laughs> like That's just the way it rolls. Now, what, what Jesus tried to try to get through to the um, religious people of the day was... I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. I've given my life. I've given my life to pay for your sin. And now you can come boldly before the throne room of grace, unmerited favour, and stand in God's presence in Jesus' righteousness. Now, when he talks to the Laodiceans and he said, I wanted you to put on clothes, uh, fine linen, so that you could stand before me. This is what he's saying. When you stand before God, you don't do it on your own merit. And so when the enemy comes to you and makes you feel bad about yourself, what do you say? I'm not standing here on my own merit. Yeah, I've made a mistake, but I'm not before God because I've done something right. I'm before God because Jesus did something right. So this is a form of protection. But I want to tell you the other way that we can come undone with righteousness. And that is, is when we don't feel as though we need to be righteous. When we can feel as though we can live whatever, whatever way we want. When we feel like we can do whatever we want and it'll be okay. All roads lead to God. Listen to this scripture. 1 John, it says, Dear children, do not let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. And so they can't keep on sinning because they are the children of God. So now we can tell who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love their brothers does not belong to God. Listen, God, Jesus' righteousness is meant to give you boldness, boldness before God that you can come to Him and that you don't have to feel guilt 
and shame and condemnation. The Bible says there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I assume you've done something wrong. I'm not even gonna ask you if you have. I know you have. You're a wild bunch of humans. But what I do know is that Jesus Christ saved you despite your unrighteousness. But to receive such an amazing gift, to make the sponge clean and then go stick it in a bucket of dirty water again, that's on you. If you want to muck around with the devil, you want to muck around with the sinfulness of this world, you want to be distracted, those desires in your heart will wither and they will die. Not because you're a great person, not because you're a bad person. The Bible says once you're saved, He's made you clean. The Bible says that He's made you whole. He's, he's, it says He's made you perfect in Hebrews. It says He's made you perfect. Now He's making you holy. This is a journey. You're going to have distraction. You're going to have disruption. You're going to be disenfranchised. You're going to have disappointment. But will you run to Him? Will you buy gold from Him? Will you let Him make your mind up? Will you be satisfied in Him? Or will you run to be satisfied by the world? If you run to be satisfied by the world, it doesn't matter how much you get, you will never be satisfied. But if you run to Him, you will be satisfied. He says, come to me, buy from me, drink from me. That's why He calls Himself the bread of life. You've, anybody that eats of me will have eternal life. But if we want to be unrighteous and we want to just go any old way and think it's all going to just work out in the end, you're wrong. That's not what it says. And when Jesus talks about this to the Latiocians, the church of the Latiocians, He says, if you keep it up, it'll be it. Now, I'm not trying to be full on here and make you feel bad. What I'm saying is that it's a good thing. That desire that God's put in your heart is meant to be a beacon of hope for your future. It's meant to give you a focus point. Salvation firstly, God always, but then God's okay if you set your heart on desire. He said many are the plans of a man's heart, but it's God who guides his steps. God talks about submitting things to Him. Remember that Scripture we talked about before? And it says that if you delight yourself in the Lord, He'll give you the desire of your heart. He doesn't have a problem with your desire. He just wants you to be careful of the way that you get there. Father, we just thank You so much for Your goodness. We thank You that You do protect the way of salvation, that You protect the way of desire. But Lord God, I pray You get our hopes up. I pray You get our hopes up, Lord God, and I pray that we'd stoke the fire. I pray, Lord God, that we'd make sure, Lord God, that we focus on You and we focus on what You want to do in us and through us. We're so grateful, Lord God, for anybody here who's discouraged. I pray, Lord God, that they'd go to Your Word where You said that You know what You've got for them, that You'll, that you'll guard their steps. Lord God, they'll be reminded not to rely on their own understanding. And Father, I just thank You, Lord God, that You do have a purpose for every single person sitting here, young and old. And I pray, Lord God, that You will remind them, Father. And I pray, Lord God, that You'll convict them of anything, Lord God, that's getting in the way, any distraction, any sin that so easily entangles that they might, Lord God, press on, Father, to what You've called them to before the beginning of time. I pray You'd excite them again, Lord God, for this amazing journey that is life with You. In Jesus' Name, Amen. 
Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening. 